Welcome to another episode of The Preacher and the Professor. This is Donna Petter. And this is Tom Petter. And for our listeners, Tom doesn't like this opening. He thinks it's cheesy. What do you think? Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) our text, our concept for today is lovers of self versus lovers of God, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And he says, avoid such people, for among those For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So, wow. What? Wow. Is that clear what lovers of self look like? There's this appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. There is opposition to truth, always learning, but never being able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. But I think what I hear is avoid such people. And so, Tom, you know, that is a statement that's hard to handle. So what does it mean? What do you think Timothy heard when Paul said to him to avoid such people. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very, um, you know, it's like when you go to a, a party and you try to avoid the people you don't want to hang out with, which is very rude. And we obviously try to avoid to, uh, to do such thing. And, but here Paul has this language of turn away. It's an imperative, um, Turn away, like go okay. in a different direction. And, and I find this very um, kind of harsh in, in our culture and even in personal dispositions. I mean, for me, you don't want to avoid anybody. And, and it just reminds me always against the backdrop of Jesus who hangs out with sinners and the, the whole gospel is let's remind ourselves every day of the gospel that yeah. it's... God who justifies the ungodly, God who justifies these people that are listed here, the treacherous, the reckless, the conceited people, the lovers of pleasures. That's what the gospel is for, is for people like that, they fit the bill for the gospel to to change their lives. And yet Paul puts this list together and he says in the last days, um, you know, Avoid people like that. So, Donna, how how do you deal with that? Because you're kind of a people person. You're yes. very friendly. Uh, yeah, you're yeah. from Western PA. You know, you you're a nice person. Well, so. and you are too. You're from Switzerland. So, uh, but actually, for me, this is this is a text because of my personality. Because I am by nature inclusive, but this text also really f- flies in the face of our culture, which is so so bent on inclusivity. 
And and so, you know, when it says avoid such people, a lot of people want to avoid these texts that are written by Paul. And we can't do that. Uh, we cannot do that. But I think what Paul is getting at is we're not supposed to have deep fellowship with these kind of people. In other words, we're not to continue conversations, endless conversations with people who are always learning, but then never are able to arrive at the truth. So in other words, a conversation has to stop somewhere and that conversations cannot be continued with people who are like this. So there's an avoidance in that way, avoid, avoid people. Yeah. But then along with that is the conversations that go with, a, with, with those relationships. That's how... I would understand it because those conversations go nowhere. Yeah. They go so, nowhere. So how do you, you know, in parenting, how, like what what would you say about parenting, like the example of parenting? What what do you tell our son Marcus when Well, we tell our not children as much anymore. He's older, but still there's a warning for adults there, but the, it, and yeah, that's right. And so we, as parents, tend to tell our children to hang out with the right people, not the wrong crowd. So maybe yeah. this is a similar yeah. way we can look at what Paul's rightful warning is. You know, especially because it's a, it's a, he's warning. Paul's warning um, about a worldview of self that clashes with the worldview of godliness. And boy, do we have that today, in an, in a very pronounced way. And so who are these people then besides how he designates them, you know, lovers of self and not lovers of God, what do they look like in everyday life? They're, 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 they're nominal people who are sitting next to us, perhaps in some of our churches. They are what spiritual do they look people. A lot of people say, oh, I'm spiritual today. I don't go to church. I believe in God. I'm spiritual. And but at the end of the day, it's, it's self-serving. And, and again, in the gospel, we all struggle with all of these characteristics. And, and, but I think that's a different, the difference of gospel-impacted people. Mm-hmm. They know they are, by nature, lovers of self and lovers of money. Okay. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we all can fall for pride and arrogance and abuse and disobedience to parents, ungratefulness, unholiness, Heartlessness, slander, yeah. slander, you know, not loving good. By the way, the brutal one here is actually um, untamed. Bru- I'm not sure the ESV there is the best way to describe it. It's untamed, wild, you know, the so, uh, without control. So, right? so what is and it? so we all struggle with these we characteristics. But, but what's the difference here? And I think, Donna, you've got a great point. Thank you. Is... You're welcome. It's it's that <laughs> these people stay this way, right? At the end, Paul right. does say they 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 just are always learning that way. Yeah. They're always that way. There's this basically what we're talking about here, I think, is there's no measuring of any change in their lives. And I think your point about you, you, we're going to have conversations with people mm-hmm. our whole lives, and we're trying to bring them into the gospel. But at some point in that conversation, when there's no measurable change, you know, there's a point where you've got to say, I, I, I never was in fellowship with you to begin with. I'm trying to woo you into fellowship with Jesus. I'm not in fellowship with you. And that's the avoidance, avoid such people, that we're not in fellowship. But we're hoping to gain, 
you into the fold of the fellowship with the Lord. But if they don't, then they don't. Then there is that place to say, Avoid. We're done. We're, we're, done. we're done. And that's very hard. It's for, very hard. Very hard to do for yeah. the sake of yeah. the gospel. Very yeah. hard to do. So, okay, but Tom, let me ask you this other question. I think it's, you know, when it says the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And yeah. these are people who are what? Like mimicking the power of God and the power of the gospel. The power of God. But so what does that look like for us? So maybe it's nominal believers. Maybe it's it's people who are not even believers at all in Jesus. Yeah. I, so I have two examples. One is uh, an, uh, a friend of ours. I think she's 100 now. Hewing Barnes. Her, yes. her grandmother used to attend the tabernacle in London with um, Spurgeon. So that tells you she grew up in Britain. And she grew up in the context of liberal Christianity versus conservative Christianity, the fundamentalist uh, modernist controversy. And she always, she would say this about liberal preachers. It's not what they say, dear. It's what they don't say. Mm-hmm. And then another, and and so so you hear that language, the lingo of Christianese, right? Yeah, godliness. But there, God, but but there's no power there. And another example that I remember from Scott Hafman, who was a professor of New Testament at the seminary, Gordon Conwell, when we were students in the early '90s, and taking a class with him, he. He talked about Rudolf Bultmann. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Who is Rudolf Bultmann, Tom? Yeah, it's not Rudolf the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's Rudolf (laughs) Bultmann. And he's a German theologian, mid-century, 20th century, who was your classic liberal theologian. He would, this is the way Scott Haifman described it. He would preach this rousing, stirring Mm. sermon on... Easter Sunday about the resurrection, and but he believed none of he it. He didn't believe in it. He didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. So this is so a great it's example. Exactly the the mimicking the power, right? It's and the appearance and the of, appearance that's right. of godliness, but it's devoid of the power of the gospel. And and of course Paul in verse eight, of, boy does he nail it with Janus and oh, yeah, Jambres. Right. And of course we could get lost in the weeds of that. They're not named by names, these two magicians in Exodus 7, but they're the magicians at the court of Pharaoh who, um, when they see Moses taking the rod of God and making it into a snake, they mimic that. And then, of course, the snake of Moses' rod eats up the snakes of the rods of Janus and Jambres. So it's it's a mimicking of God's power and that's a theme, it's a theme you're going to see with the book of Exodus. It's the rod of God, the power of God, very real, the power of the gospel versus some counterfeit power. And that's why Paul says it's a warning. So in the last days, these are difficult times because of these lovers of self. So when are the last right? days? Donna? So the last days began when Acts 2 happened, whenever the church was inaugurated um, on the day of Pentecost. So the last days have been in force for quite a long time. And there's a lot of this ungodliness that has been going on since the first century. The other the other thing to say is, so it's just not just the last days, but it's also, Paul says this in chapter 4, that Uh, People are not going to endure healthy or sound teaching, but instead they're going to have itching ears and 
that means it's a metaphor. They're going to they're going to go to places and hear what they want to hear. Having yeah. itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And then he says they will turn away from what listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so he tells Timothy. This is the context in which you're ministering, so be sober-minded and endure and continue to preach the word and at the same time be an evangelist in this context. So it's it's a wake-up call for, it, well, it's a call for endurance, uh, especially this idea of itching ears yeah. and how people are going to go to places where they can Listen to what they want to hear. In other words, in other words, for example, I'm not so sure I always like to, I don't want to hear this, avoid such people. So you know what? I'm going to go to another church. I'm going to go to another teaching because I want to be inclusive. That's the idea of itching ears. You know, it's hard on the ears. And so I'm going to go to a place where it's easy on the ears. And you can pick another topic if you want. But right now we're talking, our topic here is lovers yeah. of self. And I, I think that. It, the power of God is is the key here, and the power of God changes our lives, mm. you know. And um, I think Donna, you can testify to this that uh, the power of God to sanctify your husband <laughs> over the years, years, right? And it, that's real power. <laughs> that's I, real power to, to see it's measurable supernatural change. resurrection power. No, it yeah, is. no, it is. It's the power yeah. of the Holy Spirit, and. And you see it, right? So, so that mimicking, counterfeiting power of Janis Jambres contrasted to the power of the gospel to raise people from the dead, to change our lives. And I, I just, in conclusion for me, uh, I think I, I go back to Psalm 1, right? The, the scripture is all integrated. Right? It's all, it's the word of God. The, the word of the gospel begins in Genesis 1-1, ends in Revelation 22. Uh, it's, the gospel is all-encompassing mm -hmm, in the mm -hmm, scripture. Of course, yes. And so Psalm 1, you know, it says it's a warning. Mm, it's right? Another and warning. I, I think that's what I'd like to close with, and Donna, you can end as well. But uh, it's a warning. In, in Psalm 1, it says, don't walk, don't stand, and don't sit with ungodly people. Um, and so you start walking and then you stand and then you sit mm -hmm. and it's this sense of fellowshipping and, and boy, you and I have made mistakes over the years yeah. uh, with fellowshipping with people that were emptied of that power, the lingo of Christianity maybe in their and lives. And endless conversations and hoping that yeah. we could maybe be on the same page about things. It's, yeah. it's, and right. we've, we've made our mistakes we've, by, by wanting to be inclusive with we fail to heed the, um, the call here, the wise call of, of Paul. So last words, Donna. So the question then for us is, are we lovers of self? We're eating that list. Ooh. And are, do we have gospel grit to avoid such people? And who, with whom are we fellowshipping? It's, a, just a, it's an inventory, right? for us to yeah. take. Yeah, take an inventory. Maybe it'll change your social calendar. So this is the preacher and the professor signing off with this encouragement to continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know from whom you've learned it. Amen and amen.